When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you want to do like a, some, some, do you want to disguise your voice somehow? <laughs> you know, like a, oh, the God. Oh, hell no. Welcome to Whatever Nevermind. I am your host, Baco. And today, we conclude the list of Rolling Stone's 25 greatest grunge albums of all time. It started about a year ago with the Melvins album, Bullhead, and we're counted all the way down to last episode's Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger. And today, we have the number one album, according to Rolling Stone. Before we get into that, I want to take a second to say thank you to everybody who started listening to this from the beginning and has listened to every episode along the way. Thank you for all the comments and feedback I've gotten in that time. Thank you for all the shares. Thank you for just being patient and hanging in there with me. It really made it worthwhile, and this really has been a really re- rewarding experience for me. So hopefully uh, hopefully, I gave you something back. Uh, the, the, the point here is to kind of acknowledge, a, a, I don't know, a sort of forgotten music. It seems to be getting some steam again now lately. But really just pay homage to a, a form of music that meant a lot to me personally and really does deserve just some kind of testament and something that'll stand alone that people can kind of look at. And here's a record of what grunge was. And hopefully I just added at least a little bit to that conversation. So thank you again so much to you, the listeners and everybody for, you know, just tuning in, downloading, streaming, listening to it, whatever. I just really appreciate it. Uh, I would also like to take a second to really thank my esteemed guest. Uh, in order of appearance, Jack Andino, producer for literally hundreds of sub-pop releases, and of course he remixed Soundgarden, the Soundgarden record, Ultra Mega OK. Jeff Tomei, producer of Jerry Cantrell's Degradation Trip and engineer on the Smashing Pumpkins record, Siamese Dream. Sub-pop founder, Bruce Pavitt. Gary Lee Connor, the lead guitarist from Screaming Trees. Garth Richardson, producer of the Melvins record Houdini. Uh, David DeSolo, who wrote the uh, Alice in Chains' The Untold Story. Uh, Also the author of Everybody Loves Our Town, Mark Yarm. Uh, Producer of Soundgarden's Super Unknown, Michael Beinhorn. Uh, Producer of Nirvana in Utero, Steve Albini. Uh, author of the Chris Cornell book, Total Fucking Godhead. I'm talking about Corbin Reef, of course. Uh, Paul Kielkolderi, who produced Holes Live Through This. And Dave Hillis, who was the lead engineer on the Pearl Jam album 10. Uh, I thank those guys all for coming on and adding their 
own stories and anecdotes of the making of, of so many of these records, uh, it really added to the, the, the overall story and, and, and the, the fabric of everything I was trying to put together here. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I think they're all gentlemen. Yes, I don't have any. This is very much a, a sausage fest, this whole experience. So, And then, of course, the show would not have been what it was without all the special guest hosts that I had along the way. Uh, so also, in order of appearance, we're, we have Andy Shaw, who was actually on the show twice, uh, Zeus from the Shout It Out Loud podcast, Ralph Vieira of the Vieira Vault, and of course, the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, which is just recently reunited and relaunched, uh, John Lamoureux from The Hustle, Gene Vogel from the Disciples of the Watch podcast, BJ Cramp from Rock and or Roll, also a double-time guest, uh, Aaron Camaro from the Decibel Geek podcast, Tom Gelati, I always get this guy's name, Tom Gelati from the Shout It Out Loud podcast, Randy Brown from the Synaptic Empire, uh, Josh Toomey from Talk Toomey and the Drag the Waters podcast, who was also on twice. Uh, thanks, Josh. Chris Sinzak from Decibel Geek podcast, Joey Haney from Rock Strikes 10, Stephen Michael from Growing Up Rock, Craig Smith from Pods and Sods, also on twice, uh, Eric Miller from Pods and Sods, Brian Davis from Damn Good Movie Memories, Dave Brewington from Blame Your Brother, Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show, Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Pod, Rock and Metal Pod Combat Podcast, and Kevin Williams was our host just last episode with from In Obscuria, and and that leaves you. Who's you, Elsie Fox, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, let's end the suspense. The founder of Cobras and Fire, and. Uh, m- Hands down, the best wingman in the business. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've actually had some people ask me along the way, like uh, like how you felt about this whole thing. Um, were you going to be part of it and all that stuff? Some of the people I, I did, I think most of the people that guested, I ended up telling, but uh, I kept it a secret outside of that. So I felt the Ooh. inside baseball was fine. So uh, yeah, to, first of all, let's uh, let's uh, either squash or enhance the rumors. Uh, uh, are you upset that I decided to uh, fill in the, your off weeks with uh, grunge talk? Well, I wasn't until now because now I just had a flashback to uh, the, the, the day that my college girlfriend broke up with me and listed all the men she slept with right before that. <laughs> I did some of the same names, huh? <laughs> same, same names, and uh, it was, but but it was close to thirty. So uh, it was a, it was a good. She t- took out a scroll. I'm gonna. You know? yeah, let's let's. We should have an official challenge now uh, for any guy or girl out there. Uh, if you can bang everybody I listed off on the intro, uh, you get a Cobras and Fire t-shirt, right? <laughs> I think that's good. Wow. That's uh, that's being punished twice. Good <laughs> Several times. The, the gift is worse than the actual actions. But anyway, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I've I think it shows that much like modern couples, we have an open relationship. Look at all these men you've been with. All, yeah, a all lot of guys. Pasty, a lot of dudes. <laughs> you couldn't even find a woman to do the whole episode. You had to find a misogynist. Oh, man. I had one that agreed to it uh, right like before we even started, uh, and she ghosted me, man. Uh, so it was basically like being in high school again, or actually reliving the grunge years literally uh, for Ooh. me. <laughs> no, but but I can uh, I'll just squash it. I'll just be real. Uh, unlike uh, some people that think I play a character, yeah, Craig uh, <coughs> Smith, <laughs> you motherfucker. But uh, but yeah, it, 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 what I've really enjoyed is this, and that is, I, I not only do I make a podcast with you, 
I enjoy listening to podcasts. And the fact that I can enjoy a podcast that is actually on our same feed, part <laughs> of our show, every other week is great. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You never do this. And I'm going to blow you for a little bit. Okay. You never do anything half-assed. You go full ass <laughs> into everything that you do. The fact that you had those interviews with all the producers and and, and the members of, the, of bands and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you talk about a body of work. This is probably 40 episodes or 40, maybe close to 45. With all, it's, with it's, all the I think it's just content. shy of 40 with this one. Yeah. It, it, and also... I think it's a very smart thing you did because you basically coerced people uh, uh, and guilted them in to these podcasters to actually start listening to our show. Yeah. I mean, Randy Brown, Randy Brown, big fan of the regular show now because you got him, you greased him up, yeah, you, you, you invited him into the house. We and had now he fun, feels, uh, had, a, he feels, had a nice little yeah. chat, and, uh, he's and like, yeah, you know what, that's good, not so bad. These guys, not that bad. I thought they were a bunch of dickheads. Nah, not that bad. Yeah, so overall, you have embraced the, uh, between scheduling and all those things, you've embraced the podcast community. You've basically done an episode with almost every single person that will be at Rockin' Pod. I consider this <laughs> the warm-up to the greatest greatest uh, party of the year in August at Rockin' Pod. So well done, Mr. Baco. I, I, have, I have no beef. I have no beef, and I, and I hope you continue with these sidecasts to fill up my slack. I, I have an announcement at that at the end, uh, um, but yeah, um, no, thank you very much. I appreciate that. If, yeah, you've been nothing but supportive, uh, and when I hit you with this idea, uh, you, you were just uh, you were the best. And we actually talked early on, like which record would you like to do? But then it just hit me as like it really would be better if you were just silent. And then we hit it with the very first number one re- episode, right? Like, if we had jammed you in, like, an Allison Chain's facelift at 14, yeah, that would have been cool. You would have had a lot of nice things to say about it. You probably would have liked the record a lot more, I'm guessing. We'll get into that here in a second. But the, it just, to me, it really built up to kind of like the, it really should be you and I hitting number one, is, is, is what I thought. No. Oh. Well, well, thank you. But, but I appreciate uh, being invited to, to the party for this last episode. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, doing a sidecast is hard. I started doing two pick zero, and I was exhausted <laughs> after those two episodes. I had to bail. The fans need more. You need to you need to set aside. You need to you talk to your, to your wife and kids and say, I need 18 minutes. I got to record six two pick zeros. I'm sorry. I, I, wanna, I do. I do want to call out uh, Craig Smith once more. <laughs> so that is that is that he found the time to do two Pearl Jam albums that probably yeah, took like him four, four hours. hours. Yeah, and and he kept being non-committal about a two pick zero, which would have taken basically the time to go to the bathroom and and and, uh, and flush. So uh, maybe anyway. it just it didn't require enough involvement for him to to commit to it. He's like, do I really want to spend six minutes on the phone? You know, where, where you know he has to clean up his yeah. his apartment, and you know, yeah. you know, get his desk set up, and you know, record some stuff if he does my show. So I don't know. I understand, but uh, anyway, uh, we can move on from the from that. But but let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm not sure if you recall, but I started this sidecast just as the COVID lockdown was really starting to roll across the country. Uh, in the first two weeks of being home in that lockdown, I knocked out like six or seven episodes. I was just like, it was like we'd, we'd have lunch, we'd go for walks. I was just contacting anybody I could to see, can we do it anytime this week, you know? So that, that was actually really fruitful from a podcasting sense of that. But yeah, I remember yeah. Andy. Did you have Did Andy, you have anybody say that they couldn't do it because they were watching Tiger King? 
<laughs> yeah, about 50 50. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's it, right. It was, Tiger, that. it was either Tiger King was launched at that time, too. But uh, yeah, but Andy Shaw, of course, was the, the first guest on, on the Melvin's Bullhead record. But by the time he came <laughs> on for his second one, the single soundtrack, there actually was a discussion between the two of us of like, is it even safe or not? You know, I mean, and and just getting ready for today, the world has really changed. Uh, there's been so much shit that's happened in the last year. It oh feels God. like it's longer. I mean, between the oh the the, the coronavirus shit, uh, the George Floyd stuff, we got a new president, the whole storming the Capitol. There has been so much tumultuous activity going on. Yeah, and, and all the different waves of, of you know lockdowns, that kind of thing. And not to be too negative, but this is really it's it's kind of weird. Like so much shit happened. I, I was just doing a fucking podcast, man. Yeah, it was good. It, it was. It took a pandemic to get this done, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think so, man. Uh, I mean, well, I not- think that's what it is. People are like, "What do I got to do today?" I'll spend two hours with this guy from Minnesota. <laughs> uh, well, now that we're at the final album on the list, I did take a bit of time earlier to kind of look back at everything on, in the series. Um, and for anyone who came in late or is possibly checking out the series for the first time with this app. I'd like to maybe run down some of my personal favorite highlights that maybe it'll tease you into kind of going back and checking out everything else that you missed. So I really like Jack and Dino. He was a perfect guest early on because we mainly talked about the very early days of grunge and the Seattle music scene, like, you know, before kind of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff blew up. Uh, uh, Bruce Pavitt and I uh, got into a lot of cultural aspects of grunge. You know, not, not the music, is uh, not just the music, but, you know, fashion and how it kind of blew out of control and all that. Uh, and and how marketable and ridiculous the whole thing got. Gary Lee Connor, the Screaming Trees, uh, he gave a starkly honest uh, interview. Uh, Jeff Tomei, uh, uh, producer and, and engineer, was on twice. Once for Jerry Cantrell's Degradation Trip and the Smashing Pumpkins record, uh, Siamese Dream. He was a popular guest both times, and he was he always had great anecdotes. I love talking to Michael Beinhorn, and keep in mind, I called him on the wrong day. I really need a showrunner. Uh, uh, but he was he answered the phone and he said, you know, let's just do it. So and you know, as as anybody that listened knows, he gave me a good chunk of his time and he didn't hold back. So uh great stories about the making of Soundgarden Super Unknown, if you haven't checked that out. So um and I fucking love talking with Steve Albini. <laughs> <laughs> Steve uh, yeah, not just for that, man, but you know, just uh I don't know, just just a prickly little fun old man from Chicago, man. I just uh <laughs> Uh, I, I I would talk to him up for another hour if he if he'd give me the time. But uh, uh, whole producer Paul Kilcoldary, when he kind of no commented me, asking if I thought Courtney had Kurt killed was pretty good. Sure. Um, and I think maybe the, the the funniest and most endearing story came from Dave Hillis, who was a lead engineer on Pearl Jam Ten. Uh, he told the story of of him and Andrew Wood going to see Wasp in Seattle in the mid-80s and Andy ripping off a bunch of t-shirts from the watch merch table and then selling them to fans. So that was kind of cool. But uh, And then, of course, uh, today we're going to wrap up with you, but we're breaking down all these 25 records. I, I, I think it's undeniable whether you agree with the list or not. This is definitely a broad representation of the, of the, the scene and the music, uh, the bulk of which does come from the greater Northwest. But the, the also, you get to see how the scene actually grew and influenced bands outside of Seattle. So uh, looking back, uh, Luce, it really felt like a series that started at one spot and ended up here. Um, I do think as if somebody wanted to, they could easily listen and cherry pick their episodes. You don't necessarily have to go in order, but I, of course, want you to listen to everything from beginning to end. But I will tell you, too, that I learned a lot about the Seattle scene that I did not know before. 
through listening. And and also it, it made me rediscover some of the albums, but also like the the one that, that was my biggest takeaway. Well, it reinforced the fact that I do not like the Melvins. Okay. Uh, and, and the ones I didn't like, I just didn't like. But Screaming Trees, I'm in, you know? Yeah, same here, man. I mean, I, I was not fully fully aware of that album except uh you know the single on on single soundtrack and stuff like that so that was really cool too uh but yeah i mean i think that this is kind of like a really cool time capsule and from the actual uh i guess uh downloads and listens it, it's it was i think it's a, an untapped unlike kiss podcast <laughs> and all this stuff like that there's not that many grunge podcasts there or people really talking about this music in the fandom, but it is a huge chunk of time. So it's a great time capsule and I think representation of the genre. So uh, anyway, let's it, it, ruin it now with me. Okay. Um, and uh, I will like to, to credit, it was the episode we did on Alice in Chains Dirt that I looked back on and the reaction we got from that, that I was like, I can't, that's why I went this direction as opposed to a that's different true. one. So. That's true. Like that's like a top 20 episode for us. So that was a good precursor. But, but yeah, all right, LC, man. Uh, coming in at number one on Rolling Stone's greatest grunge albums is the 1991 record from Nirvana, the mega hit Nevermind. Probably the least shocking thing I've said on this show. Uh, yes, it, pr- pretty much. It was released on September 24th, 1991, which may or may not be the release date of Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger. I'm going to go with no because I. The, the, I remember that earlier. Yeah, w- Wikipedia gets shit wrong, um, but I couldn't really get a solid confirmation. There's an interview with Kim Thale where he says it was in October, and there's another one where he says it was September 24th. So uh, who fucking knows? And it really doesn't matter. It's, it's right around the same time. Uh, produced by Butch Vig, recorded at Sound City Studios, uh, with some additional recording done at Vig Zone Smart Studio- Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. It comes in at, I don't know, a, 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 for a punky kind of record i think kind of a long 49 minutes and seven seconds it's long for another reason for me personally but uh it was nirvana's second record it was their first release on dgc records and also the first to feature uh uh, future foo fighter drummer dave Grohl. and it has the single smells like teen spirit come as you are lithium and in bloom lc did you know at one point this record was selling 300,000 copies a week yeah I was not. What's the total tally on it? About thirty million is uh, what uh, I found out. Worldwide, does it? Is it is that it has a, to be a, worldwide, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, that it, sounds. I, so is it? Is it seriously double diamond? It's got. I mean, it's tri- a diamond album. Triple diamond, sure. if it's that right. Diamond is what ten million. Well, yeah, but I think they only count it in the. I'm, I'm gonna get off track, but I think <laughs> I always I always thought that that Billboard or however that was was domestic. In the U.S., it is, yeah. So, like, the, the, okay. the, but you know, every country has their own awards. I do the thirty million to me only because of like we're talking Eagles' greatest hits and Michael Jackson thriller uh, territory right. there. I th- that that is probably a worldwide sales thing, but uh, it's like prob- probably black, a solid twenty million album. in the states. You'd think. Wow, that's just all right then. Well, one one copy was of, sold to me, so yeah. so I helped. Uh, I bought this on cassette. Shortly after I saw the that, Teen Spirit, kind of, I, I, honest to God, Luce, I really like Teen Spirit a lot, but I bought this kind of to impress the dudes at the record store Wilson and I used to hang out with. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, all hair metal, we'll, man. Uh, can we talk about the Nirvana font real quick? Mm. Do you know the story? Or do you got something to say? No, if you could tell me, but but the, I think it was just like a lazy thing, if I remember from one of your episodes. Yep. But the but the uh, <clears throat> my point of telling you that is that black shirt. Yellow lettering, 
I'm going to guess 100 million T-shirts been sold at Target. You know what I'm saying? Like oh. they have those that that generic that generic just logo. I mean, like certain bands, you know, have iconic logos. Obviously, Kiss, Motley changes theirs up and stuff like that. But there's nothing creative about the Nirvana logo. It's li- literally like just typing something in, in Microsoft Word and putting it on a shirt. Yeah, and, yes? and they no? played no role in it either. It was the uh, design department uh, for Sub Pop, such as it was in 1988, 89. Whenever they're getting ready to, to put together bleach, but yeah, it, it is just a font. Uh, I, 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 I'm it's sorry, I probably should have wrote the name down, but I don't <laughs> recall what it was. But yeah, and they they kept with it. I mean, when you see it in that font, it looks like it's what it's supposed to look like. You know, I mean, they they, they hung with it, but you know. Yeah, I know. I would have preferred Comic Sans. <laughs> I hate Comic Sans. It killed my <sighs> father. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I understand. Well, I the most, the most hated font. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just saying the, the most hated font. Of course, yes. Yes. Um, Continue, please. I realized that th- I think that the, the first time I actually realized that things were changing because of this record was when I was at a house party in early winter in my hometown of Owatonna. And um, uh, one of the guests there shouted <laughs> to the host, Matt, put in that Nirvana cassette or something like that. Um, <laughs> I love it. And, and this is the guy uh, who I guarantee fucking own great gonzos and probably played that he was not and, and didn't probably have too many other you know cassettes uh his going out wardrobe was you know also doubled as like hunting and fishing wardrobe you know what i mean he's one of those guys he wasn't really clean he was kind of a filthy general person overall not exactly the cutting edge of of like you know music so the fact that this album broke to that guy Ah, uh, things were times that were changing loose. Yeah, I got it on CD. I would say maybe December or so of uh, 1991, and and really it was kind of the same thing. Like you said, you you did it to impress the people at the record store. For me, I had been just like just like society, popular culture. I've been pummeled with this thing about yeah. the greatest new thing, and at some point I said, I said, you know what? Fuck it. I mean, I was. All into, you know, Use Your Illusion and Ozzy and Metallica that year and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'll give this a try. And that's that's how I, I bought it. But I did not get it any time near the beginning. I mean, at least That's still pretty later. early, especially you know, back then. People I would guess so. get records within the first few months was still kind of early. I guess so. Uh, well, before we get into the record, uh, I do want to mention Ooh. that we have a special guest that's going to join us as we critique these songs. Uh, Loose Cannon. Oh, good. Who, who you got? From the Growing Up Rock, Rock Podcast, we have the one and only Sonny Pooney. All right. Love the Pooney, the ambassador of podcasting. I was surprised to find out he was such a huge fan of grunge. Um, oh, sure. So Sonny will be offering his his thoughts on the tracks as we go through the record as well. I have a question for Sonny real quick. Do you mind? I'm sure he'd be, he's happy to answer this. Okay, great. Uh, will uh, Growing Up Rock be doing a grunge sidecast soon? Nope. Are you ready to get into this masterpiece? Nope. Oh, please. It opens up with Smells Like Teen Spirit.
was not until today when I was doing a little bit of research on the on the lyrics and whatnot. That opening line, I did not know it was load up on guns, bring your friends. I've never heard load up on guns. Is it on guns or your was. guns? I thought it's load up your guns. and I don't have the lyrics in front of me, but uh, load e- up your what, guns. Either way, I can just tell me. I remember bring your friends, but I never knew the actual word guns was in the song. I'm just just saying, like, it was just it was just odd because uh, obviously the tragic end of of Cobain and things like that, because there's guns are a theme, obviously, on this uh, on this album. But um, no, in in summary, and again, I'm a musician. Do you call it muted chords? But that riff like down and out. No, those aren't. Well, the, the, what do you call the, them? The, I mean, I mean, strings. The between, the strings. like the, the chords aren't muted, but like he when he does, a tick, tick, that's kind of like he pulls up on the thing. But yeah, it's it's sort of a palm. It's 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 a hand mute, not a palm mute. But okay, well, whatever the term is, I love it. I love it. And you know what? You you may think, how are we going to get some kiss references in this episode? I will tell you that that smell like Teen Spirit. When I got when I heard this, bought the album. You know, opening track. However inundated we are with this track, it's a gr- it's an amazing fucking song, I think, from start to finish. The riff, I'm going to do a couple Kiss comparisons in the beginning, which you're going to probably disagree with, but this is their deuce. It's a rolling oh, riff really? through, through, the, through the, the beginning of it. It gets me going, all, all this, and I, I, I'm making a push here because I'm going to say Nirvana was very influenced in Kiss. They weren't. But they did that tribute album where they did uh, Do You Love Me, a terrible, terrible cover. But I, I love this song. Everything about it. The ridiculous mulatto, albino, a mosquito, my libido. Makes no sense. Somehow it makes sense. That's my summation of it. Those four chords are used in strutter um, in a different pattern, of course. Really? That I didn't know. Um, Yeah, I guess uh, I don't really hear it. I'm just thinking about peppy. Go ahead. I just don't hear juice. One last thing. One last thing. One last thing on it, too, and I'll hand it over to you for the song. Because I'm excited, obviously you can tell. Nice. I'm joining the whatever, never mind podcast. How can you not be excited being a guest? You're but, the but number the is, one album guest, my friend. I know, my God, how did I earn that? A lot of but, pressure. But, but with that said, I mean, and then I'll just, and this goes throughout the album is those fucking drums from Dave Grohl yeah. just coming in there right after that guitar riff starts. I mean, those, it just out the gate. 15 seconds that's that's your peak performance yeah if i had heard bleach and then this uh i can see if you're a big fan of bleach that pretty quick you probably might not like this record but dave grohl uh is is you know i mean look i've gushed about him on the show quite a bit as far as rock drummers it's him and tommy lee for me i just think they're the two best and and yeah it's just he that that it's so iconic and it's simple you know what i mean even I can almost play it. It's that easy. Uh, it doesn't but, matter. It's how he's playing it. The 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 yeah. style. The he's just hitting it hard. It just oh, right. it's pure rock. And to me, is, that is what that's I'm what saying. a rock drummer is. Is just really hard hitting. You know what I mean? That that, that yep. John Bonham kind of uh, approach. BJ Cramp brought up uh, brought up a really great point. I don't I don't remember if that made the final cut or not on the, one of the episodes he was on. I think it did. But what if the song wasn't called "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and it was called something like "Lights Out"? I think we might not be talking about this today, Lewis. We might. I, I think that is as important to everything. The timing of when this came out, how good the song is, the production, Dave Grohl's drumming, all that stuff. 
I think calling the song Smells Like Teen Spirit is as important to it being a huge success and changing the way music went because it, it that that line, you know, which never appears in the song, sums up the, kind of the whole vibe, that angsty kind of alternative thing. I'll go with that because it's it's a creative, just like a lot of the, uh, well, some of these songs, I should say, that the title, kind of like a Led Zeppelin thing that used to drive me nuts, mm. where they would name the songs different than anything that had to do with like Black Dog and stuff like that. It's like, if you try to remember it, I like songs to be named after the chorus. So yeah, yes, you, 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 like you, you can be a bit of a prickly pear when it comes to that. I can, because it has to do with memory retention, which you know I do not have much of. So I need simple simple triggers to remember this is the song that I like. That's the part. But but with that said, I can think you're completely right. I mean, they wrote down something that says smells like teen spirit or whatever. Like, this sounds like angst or whatever, however you want to say that. Cause it, and, and it just uh, led to probably the director of the video or however that yeah. went. I mean, then you have a whole ra- you know pep rally. For the video, so yeah, that perfect combined, video too. I mean, the girls were perfect ugly. Video, yeah, girls were ugly. All that kind of stuff. The janitor was uh, rocking out. Yeah, all all that, and uh, I think it was the perfect perfect storm of of it was the anti of what was going on on the radio on MTV. It was different. That was the main thing about it, yeah. right? You name a song something goofy has nothing to do with it. He's talking gibberish. He basically sounds like you know he he's he's he, none of his lyrics make sense. You know what I mean? So, I, I disagree, but uh, I, I... That's fine. I, that's fine. No, plenty of them don't, by the way. I, but yes. it's, it's not that none of them do. The one thing I don't like, and this is probably touched on why Nirvana would never really clicked on me, is I, I've never cared for Kurt's clean guitar tone. Um, but the distorted tone, especially on this song, is out of this world. It is, I mean, Butch Vig captured it great. That to me was missing on the in, in utero album was just that crunch of the the, the guitar because I do think that the drums are 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 great on this record but I, I thought Steve Albini captured the drums better. There's just something about that that it's it's almost like his clean tone sounds like he has strings that have been on the guitar since he bought it. Uh, it just it, it's just it, it it it's not pleasant for Baco. Uh, I gotcha and I, and I'll just let's say you're Butch Vig and you've heard Bleach which in my opinion, is an awful, <laughs> awful album, except for About a Girl, which I do not like the version on that album either. I only like the uh, Nirvana Unplugged version for that song. But my point is is that... I hate Nirvana co- Unplugged. It, it, uh, that I do not understand. Same, I will, I will it's go... It's the guitar tone. Go those, nope. I mean, those. I mean, seriously, it sounds like he's got dead strings. I just I can't get over it. Yeah, I'll just leave it with this. That'll be a side side talk. We'll stay focused today for you people, but that's one of my that's my favorite Nirvana album easily. So anyway, so going back to this, you got Bleach. Some they come in with this to the studio. You're like, what? Where did this come from? Yeah, it's catchy. It's everything you need. You right? Okay. So off the gate, that's that sold me to the album. We'll move on. You know, but I've never heard. You know, at this time, that was the only single when I got the album. Yeah. So what's up next? Well, before we get into what's next, uh, we have to give our ratings. So what do you have for a rating system for us today? Oh, on this one, I've got five is the max, right? Yeah, unless you want to do more. I don't care. I'm going to do more. I'm going to go. I'm going to do, you know, they say like you're going to give 110% or whatever like this. This is a 110% song and I'm giving it six hair in the face looking like the thing from the Adams Family. 
All right. I, I'm going to just uh, stick with the five, but five hair in your face like you look like the thing from the Adams Family uh, from Baco. So. What did you think the first time you heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, Tony? ba ru tull Up next, we have In Bloom. Kiss Alive. You start with Deuce, and that's with Teen Spirit. You go into Strutter next, and that that, that drum, those drums from Dave Grohl, and it almost has that kind of swagger like Strutter. And I'm stretching here. I know people. Today. Listen, <laughs> if there is the, if the in, uh, uh, if Kevin Williams can can throw out yes and uh, uh, <laughs> what was he <laughs> throwing out? King, uh, King what Crimson. Else? King Crimson? Hey, he King brought Crimson? the obscuria, baby. And what was it? What did you guys reference? Like Bill, Bill, uh, Bill Buford or something uh, no, like that? Some guy, From... I, I referenced uh, <laughs> Jackal at Bratfest. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if they can throw that, that can be thrown into your. I'm telling you that this is Nirvana's Deuce followed up by Strutter. It's got more of a strut to it. It's it's. Uh, uh, again, I'm getting this album as a kid. I'm like, fuck yeah, one and two. That's that's my summary for this song. I love the and also, this was the beginning where it has the lyrics "Sell the kids for food." I'm telling you, Tom Hanks, he listen to this and uh, what <laughs> right? Isn't that what he does? It's it's a uh, underground thing. Tom Hanks, isn't that what he do, does? He sells oh, like. Oh, you're talking about the whole pizza game now. Uh, sort of. They're they're selling kids for uh, Adrenochrome. Oh, that's right. That's what I meant. That was the original. Get your lyrics. head out of your ass, loose. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 what is that? Cunon? Uh, catfishing? What is it? Uh, Continue. What are your thoughts? It's it's the kids in the TikToks. Mm, the TikToks. All right. Uh, yeah, man. That's a pretty good track. Uh, I mentioned there have been many examples. You hear, you, hear str- you hear the strutter drums, though, right? I know. It has a drum intro. But I don't hear the strutter drums, no. Bum, 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 bum. All right. Fine. I'm out. All right. Well, I've mentioned that there have been many examples in my life where I really liked a song, but I could almost tell instinctively that I wouldn't like much else. And we're two tracks in. I had the, that that feeling with "Smells Like Teen Spirit." I'm like, I really like the song, but this sounds like a band that's going to do a record that I don't like. Uh, and for the most part, that's that. Not spoiler alert. Uh, that that's how I feel. But uh, so two tracks in, I got I'm getting evidence that this band just isn't for me. That said, you know what I mean. Uh, taking my own like kind of personal preference out of it, this is a good song. I get why people like it. It's a it's a great number two. What about you, Pooney? I'm guessing you like this song. Wrong. Okay, so we were in two songs in, and you got another gun reference. Yeah. 
And it also it also has the lyrics, we can have some more, nature is a whore, bruises on the fruit, tender age in bloom. This one actually has the lyrics in bloom in it. Can you interpret these? That helps you, right. Yeah, uh, same again? Yes. They are, we can have some more, nature is a whore, bruises on the fruit, tender age in bloom. This is uh, probably a good example of him uh, just waiting to the last minute to write lyrics. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I thought it was like some dirty virginity thing. That could but, be, yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, let me, hold on, let me, uh, what, uh, let me look it up. Can I get your OnlyFans password? <laughs> uh, well, can we do it off mic? Yeah, Is sure. Right? I'll share with the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That'd be good. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so my, I'm going to say that uh, I'm giving this, again, five bruises on the fruit. Uh, this gets uh, four bruises on the fruit for me. If I was okay. personally rating it, I've, I've stopped listening. I, I probably, because it was cassette, and I bought it, th- that that was a thing too, is that, like I bought the cassette because of that trepidation that I might not like the whole record. It was a few bucks cheaper to get the cassette. Uh, sure. I didn't, it was, my preferred listening method was going to be CD, so I really didn't listen to it that much. I'm not sure I heard track two for three, four months after buying the cassette. Wow, I'm sure really, I played the fucking I thought, tape. I my but, attention spam is, you, you seriously played and then you kept rewinding that first song and you didn't make it to track two? Yeah, I mean, that is an accurate description of how I typically listen to this when I did. You know, probably wow. in the car, had the auto reverse, but although it was the first song, you didn't really need it, but... Uh, yeah, Are you bragging? Like, I'm sure I Are heard you bragging the bragging right now? Was that? I, I feel that I feel that you're bragging with the whole auto reverse thing, but keep going. <laughs> Man, not only did I have auto, uh, or wait, no, yeah, I, no, auto reverse is a brag because that was the one where we'd flip the. Uh, yeah, to side two without taking shit. the tape out, Just right? Flip it over. What man. was the song search thing where you would you would fast forward or rewind? Oh my god, I had it in a jam box, and you would actually mine. Actually, was you could actually hit the number. Of spaces, like you could go. I want to oh, fast dude, forward one, that is, two, that three. Is next level yeah, technology. You there. hit it, and it fast now, forward. You, you're like, you couldn't what do is it this on wizardry. Did you ever try to do it with Queens Rock Operation Mindcrime? It just Didn't zooms work. all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing with uh, Pink Floyd the Wall. <laughs> same thing, yeah. Oh man, um, uh, <laughs> damn thing's defective. Yeah, I, I I had a three hundred dollar Kenwood cassette deck that I uh, that was the first opportunity I had to go into credit card debt out of high school. That's what I bought. Oh, excellent. Um, That's good. Worked out for me. All right. All right. Track three. We have "Come As You Are." Come Nirvana's Going Blind. I'm starting to think you only listen to three songs in preparation for this. If you only have three Kiss references <laughs> and they're all the first three. <laughs> nope, because this is it. For some reason, this is a really strange song, just like Going Blind. It's It sounds different. It's got, is that is that actually a bass riff in the beginning or is that a No, that's a, that's a well, it's his clean guitar tone, which I love so much again. But he's got like a, some kind of chorus <laughs> or, 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 or flange on it. Um, 
that that really does help bring that that up a little bit. Third gun reference. Yeah, and it, well, this is where he claims he doesn't have a gun, but we no. find out later that actually Kurt does have a gun. He does, yes. And who? <laughs> too we soon. We don't know exactly who brought it. Yeah, too soon. <laughs> Come as you are. Perfect pop rock song. We've heard it over and over again, but still, you. I, I don't think he, this is an. I think this is an undeniable song. So. Yeah, I mean that that clean guitar riff is killer. And this is the second single from the album, released a full yep. six months after Teen Spirit came out. Just kind of show you how much things have changed since then. You know, you, nowadays when you release a record, you spend six months ahead of it releasing five singles. But that said, wasn't wasn't a typical span three to four months? That yeah, like th- it was gap. long for the time too. I would think, but and and, sure. and I think that maybe once it started to really boil, my uh, assumption was that they wanted to milk the first single for as much as they could. You know, um, sure, and and then just and before getting into the the, the next phase of it, because this really was about a, a, a two year promotion span, but for the whole album. But the song is about being accepted, no matter who you are, an anthem for the freaks. Uh, to me, it's sort of ironic how this band and album became something for the cool kids, as the status quo is a regular target. Uh, gun reference for you throughout the the whole record, but. Uh, Anything that reaches mass consumption, mass consumption, I should say, the true meaning pretty much gets lost. So uh, there is something to say about this song has a good message that says we all kind of let's just invite everybody to the party. Let's all be together. You know what I mean? So and then, of course, he for some reason, he doesn't talks about guns and I just it, it loses the whole message. So maybe he's like, come as you are. I swear I don't have a gun. He wants to, like, uh, I don't know, go Columbine on it or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just. And Sonny Pooney, I'm guessing this one's a little bit more your speed. Wrong again. All right, what do you got for a rating? Five Who Killed Kurtz. Four and a half Who Killed Kurtz for me. So now I, I'm at a 4.66666666 average. Ooh. What are you at? Fives? Just fives. Fives. <laughs> I mean, I did the silly six, but I would just say oh, it's yeah. fives. All right, yeah. Well, three songs, Doesn't three matter. singles, man. Okay, but before we go on, I'll tell you that this is a perfectly sequenced album. Okay? And what I mean by that is that after these three songs... Things take a turn, okay. <laughs> so this next song, Baco can hit, hit, hit rewind, uh, and yeah. not not even not even utilize that sweet auto reverse technology. Nope, that's too far. That's too far, man. To get back to the, the good stuff. But uh, the the main this song, breed. I don't care, and that is exactly my thoughts on it. I have nothing else to say. 
this could be the theme of um, uh, the early 80s camp movie, Suburbia, uh, which I, Brian Davis ho- uh, guested on an episode here. But uh, I joined him on his show to talk about that gloriously horrible movie from uh, early 80s. But in many ways, this is the anarchist apathy in music, you know, really started in the late 70s. In the early 80s, grunge was a, just able to market it better. I don't know if that makes any sense. It seemed like Nirvana especially, but but all the grunge bands seem to tap into that kind of like the world isn't perfect, you know, kind of vibe that, that that punk really was was hitting. But uh, they were able to sell more records doing it. Cobain wrote about the reality he saw. You know what I mean? Where bands in the 80s like, you know, uh, Dokken and, uh, you know, Rat and stuff were really just writing about kind of almost an escape from reality. And on a negative note, the opening verse to this, that, that the, you, you commented, the, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. When I hear that, I hear the future West Borland starting mu- Puddle of Mud. So, yes, I was going to say, this sounds like a really shitty Puddle of Mud song. Yeah, and if Puddle of Mud, I think uh, instead of doing the one song that they just butcher the shit out of, uh, and it's really all on West. Let's not blame the band. How about this song, Sonny? Not too bad, eh? I do not agree. Yeah, but we can move on. You want my rating? Yeah, let's give it. Uh, I give it, uh, can you do zeros? Yeah, one uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Stephen Michael okay. was afraid uh, to zero. do it. Excellent. Well, I'm not afraid. I'm going to say the, the, I'm giving this zero fucks given I, for, uh, okay. for this damn song. I, I actually like it a little more than you, and I don't like it that much. It's three and a half zero fucks given. Okay. Yeah. Me, this sounds like teen angst gone gone wrong. Yeah. But uh, let's move on to if we could. Uh, can I introduce the, ne- the next one, or sh- is that only in your control? You know what? Uh, uh, if you want to follow in the footsteps of Ian Wadley, go for it. Every time that I see the word the, the song lithium, I can't think of anything about it except it's how is this a single? I'm so happy because today found my friends in my head. I'm so ugly, that's okay, cause so are you, look on his Sunday morning, is every day for all I care, I'm not scared, light my candles in our days, cause I found God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole summation of the song. That's the main lyrics. Complete turd flaming on your doorstep. Continue, please. I actually think the chorus is brilliant um, because because of what you're just saying. It's like, it's actually, how do you make that catchy? I mean, but it is. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, I could be like you and just go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not really a fair representation of what he's doing there but uh oh now the video for this song they they used and again uh we got four videos in the first five four, four singles in the first five they did like a like a like a fake like they were in the 60s and at, on the ed sullivan show i just want to give all credit to la guns because i saw them do it first i don't know if they were first all time mm-hmm. but they did it with their never enough okay. video uh where it was very much the same kind of concept was that was that L.A. Guns or the L.A. Guns? I want to make sure I understand the difference. You know, I'm pretty sure that was just L.A. Guns. So, Gotcha. I just want to make sure I can check my discography. I really don't have much more on that. I I, I, I think it's an okay song. What about you, Poonie? Ba-ru-to. 
What's what's the rating we got here? I'm giving it zero. I prefer Kisses Say Yeah. <laughs> wow. I give it four. As far as this record's concerned, it gets four. Uh, uh, say yeah. Side one wraps up. The the part of the cassette that was like very clean on my copy. It was like very little. There wasn't a lot of tape wear uh, at this end of the, the cassette. <laughs> yeah. But it ends with uh, the, the kind of a little acoustic love song, Polly. Polly wants a cracker. Think I should get off her first. Think she wants some water. Put out the blowtorch Isn't me Have a seat Let me clip Dirty wings Let me take a ride Cut yourself Want some help Please myself Got some rope Haven't told Promise you Haven't true Let me take a ride Cut yourself Once a man Please myself Polly wants a cracker I think I should get off her first. The first time I remember hearing this song I, 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 I again I was immersed in Guns N' Roses I took Use Your Illusion one out I put this album in and again those first three songs loving it I get to this I'm like what the fuck is this album about? Polly wants a cracker? I should think I should get offer first. Is this a date rapist bird? You're just such. What an is old going man. on? Okay, I mean, just <laughs> you were an old I, man I, I just, in, in 1991. <laughs> I think it's. Ter- I think this is a. I think living in suburban Indiana hurt you, and I grew up in fucking farm country, bro. Whatever. I mean, never mind. Does nothing for me. Polly wants a cracker. Skip. I, you understand? Next song. Yeah. Okay. First of all, the, do you know what the song is about? This is this is one time where I actually tried lyrics. Please, no, please, uh, please break the song down to me. It's still not going to make it any better. But please, there was a a rapist in Washington that had been paroled recently around this. Uh, he had raped a 14 year old girl on her way home from a rock concert. So see, he apparently suspended her via a pulley from the ceiling of his mobile home and then submitted to her to brutal physical and sexual assault. She managed only to escape with her life after he stopped for gas and she jumped out of his truck. So uh, he's not, just like Scott Weiland was not pro-rape with the sex type thing, this is not a pro-rape song. It is, while spoken from the view of the protagonist, is not meant to be a celebration of the act. Yeah, can I I tell you that's... Go ahead, go ahead. I, I love the line Polly wants a cracker. I uh it, it to me that's kind of that that kind of I don't know snarky kind of like almost Paul Westerberg type lyric style that that Kurt really was great at. If I want to give him credit for anything it's it's that kind of thinking that uh you know it's something that 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 is kind of memorable and catchy but at the same time it's 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 like this I don't know this weird dry humor that almost you know makes the point for itself, but uh, anyway. Wow, that's a lot of research you did for this song. I mean, that whole backstory is pretty, uh, you know, that's kind of the the inspiration for, as I understand, Poison's "I Want Action" too. Yes, uh, and, and and Kurt drew on that. <laughs> He's like, you know what, they did it. Let me see if I can't do that better. You talk about the most date rapey song ever. I want action. 
action tonight. That is yeah, the yeah, no, Now, Poison Pinnacle. was taking it uh, in a different direction. You know, <laughs> they were so. protagonist and pro-rape uh, with that one <laughs> right. action. The last thing I got to say on this is that I know Butch Vig talked about this in, in a special on the record that uh, yeah. the guitar is actually slightly out of tune. Duh. And they decided to just go with it. This was actually recorded back in Madison, Wisconsin, when they first started demoing the record. They just kind of kept the actual take and didn't re-record it. Uh, It features Chad Channing on cymbals. That's a great fact. Uh, Also, I should disclose, though, that one of the reasons I don't like this is I hate birds. Man, one of my college friends, his wife has a fucking parrot. That thing drives me up a goddamn wall. Exactly. I mean, I would have... Fucking Chloe. I'm going to write a song called Chloe. I would have rather a cracker. I would have rather enjoyed, uh, or I would enjoy more if the out of tune guitar was played and it was just Kurt Cobain talking to an actual fucking parrot and, and the parrot repeating back things to him. You know, I, I'm surprised you don't love this because this sounds exactly like all the guitars on uh, Unplugged. Uh, yeah, I'm going to move on from that. Well, well, Luce, um, I'm going to hand you the cassette and you can stick the pencil in it and start spinning it to the end because I don't want to wear down the batteries of my Walkman. Sure. Um, and while you're doing that, I now one thing I don't know that the listeners knew, every guest that came on the show, I asked them to re-rank this list in their own personal order. Like what do they and use any criteria they wanted. They could sure. say, you know, like I, this I don't like maybe I don't like Nirvana, but I'm still going to put it high or maybe I fucking hate Nirvana, so I'm going to slide that down. Point being is I didn't I didn't set up any parameters, and, but one thing that you talked to me about uh, I don't know about midway through this was the top four records on this list absolutely should be in any order: Nirvana, Alice in Chains, uh, Soundgarden, and Pearl Jam. The big four should be the top four. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous that Alice in Chains first shows up at number six. After fucking Hole in Mud Honey. That is that is nothing but Rolling Stone silliness to to yeah. Ba- to basically troll, you know what I mean? Like to get people yeah, like fired or, up, or just to be a little too too. This is you know I'm such a deep thinker about this or some right. cred whatever. Sure, you, this is, you don't need to overthink this. Those fucking four bands, I can pick the four records. We'll get to it here in a second, but yeah. I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. There's no argument to be made that those shouldn't be one, two, three, and four. Yeah. If there was a top 25 thrash albums, do you think fucking Exodus is number four? No. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Possessed is five, and then Megadeth comes in for the first time at six. Right. That would be the same list. Yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of what they did here. And as, as Ian said, in, in Kansas at number seven. So coming in at number 25, I'm just going to count down. Is that all right? Yeah, and we'll please. talk about yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. From 25 to one, mm. it starts with the Deep Six compilation, <laughs> Green River Dries a Bone, The Melvin's Bullhead, Jerry Cantrell Degradation Trip, Whoa. Mud Honey Super Fuzz Big Muff. At number 20, just to help people kind of see where we're at, Soundgarden Ultra Mega OK, L7 Bricks Are Heavy, Melvin's Houdini, Nirvana Bleach, Screaming Trees Sweet Oblivion. At number 15, Hole, Live Through This. 14, Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream, Mad Season Above, Stone Temple Pilots Purple, Stone Temple Pilots Core. And now we get to the top 10. At number 10 is the single soundtrack. At number 9, Temple of the Dog. At number 8, Nirvana, In Utero. At number 7, Pearl Jam Versus. At number 6, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. At number 5, Alice in Chains, Facelift. 
At number four, Nirvana Nevermind. At number three, today's record. Uh, at number three, Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger. At number two, Pearl Jam 10. And at number one was Allison Chains Dirt. Now, before I, you comment, I would like to point out one thing. One, you were right. I was right to agree with you. And one, two, three, four is, is those four. Five, six, seven, eight is those four again. Then at nine is Temple of the Dog, which is basically a combination of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. And the singles count soundtrack comes in at 10, which is, I think, five or six songs featuring three of the bands that we, we just talked about. To me, the, we got it right. If you really want to rank the greatest grunge albums of all time, the top 10 is basically just the big four. So I, I, I applaud everybody. And, and, and people were all over the place. There was no, like, real consensus. It was weird to see, like, how someone I thought I was really in tune with would just be all over the place, but including yourself. But uh, what do you think about this list? I have no arguments on this list at all. I mean, I mean, of course, in the top 10, mine was a little different, but it really doesn't matter. That's how it should be represented statistically, historically, however you want to, however you want to slice and dice it. I mean, who cares past the, the, the top 10 for the most part that that's, those are the 10 albums that really defined the genre. I mean, how else do you want to, you can move them up and down. It's just personal preference yeah. based on, on your life and everything like that. There's, there's arguments to be made, but that I think is much scientifically that makes sense. You took 25 <laughs> people that, that wanted to participate on a grunge that's 25 but you had you had 20 some right people that were yeah. that were a, 22 yeah they that also are for the most part except for professional guest Andy Shaw um uh, 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 have podcasts of their own so you know they're huge music fans this is a legit fucking list no hipsters from yeah. Rolling Stone this makes sense and, and everything kind of offset too like someone who put Pearl Jam really high would also put Soundgarden or Allison Chains really low you know, right. and, and so the fact that it all balanced out the way it did, and look at number ten or eleven and twelve, Stone Temple Pilots two records. Tell me they weren't the fifth, the next. The, it's either them five. or Smashing Pumpkins. It, yeah. They're they're easily the overkill. Overkill, Exodus, Testament. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But the the point being is is that like for me, I put I. And I'm not being contrarian by doing this, but I just happen to enjoy facelift more than dirt. So my was my hair than that. And I also like verses. I enjoy it more than than 10, even though you could argue that song to song, those are better. My point is, is that it's all over the board. Well, I have asked everybody who's come on this show to basically tell me their synopsis of did grunge kill hair metal. I have not had the opportunity to give my take on it, but I thought I'd let you answer the question first and then I'll follow. Are you good with that? Yeah. Elsie Fox, this is your chance. Mm -hmm. Did grunge kill hair metal? Before I give an answer, I'd like to go into some details because it's not that easy of a question. That's why it's been asked over and over again. And I have to tell you, after after thinking about this more and hearing all the genius minds that have been part of the show leading up to it, I, I can tell you my viewpoint while slightly refined, stays the same, if I may. Absolutely. So the quick answer to your question is, did crunch kill hair metal? The answer is no. The man killed hair metal. Let me go into who the man is, if I may. Yes? Yes, who's the man? Okay. Now the man, we'll just call him Steve, can we? Oh, okay, Steve. Steve. 
And Steve represents. Steve gets around. See, he does. That motherfucker. So here's the thing. <laughs> the record companies killed hair metal. And let me tell you, first off, this is not this is going to be a bit of a spoiler. This is a profit deal. A profit deal, okay? Wait. You you're telling me this might be about money? I am. I'm just letting you know Instead right now. Instead of big now. farmer, we're talking big grunge. We are. We're talking about big grunge here, people. Big tobacco, big pharma, big grunge. That's the big three. Here's the thing. The music industry is much like it's an entertainment industry. It doesn't matter if it's movies, whatever it is. So you know what the, the, the genre needed, hair metal needed? It needed a reboot. And let me tell you, by the time it was 1990, I'm going to tell you the main one from the hair metal scene that killed it officially. But also I'm going to tell you that that essentially what you had right now is just like what you're talking about for grunge afterwards. Third generation of this. We've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, but I'm going to put it in movie standard, a uh, movie reference here, okay? And that is that Trickster and Pretty Boy Floyd are this are <laughs> are the Spider-Man three and Superman four Quest for Peace and the Batman and Robin of hair metal, okay? You have to understand that at this point, let me just think about those movies before we even go in there. It was after uh, Batman and Robin came out. It was eight years. Until they had another <laughs> Batman movie, no, no Batman movie. That whole profit thing done. That was that movie was so bad it killed off that franchise until fucking Chris Nolan rebooted it. Let me think of a more extreme one. After Superman, Superman three was terrible with Richard Pryor anyway. But Superman four, Quest for Peace, nineteen eighty seven. It wasn't until twenty years until we got another shitty movie, Superman Returns. Okay, but it took that long, and that. But Pretty Boy Floyd and Trickster, they're not the ones that killed it. Because they are not big enough names. We only know them as geeky podcasters. The ones that did it is 1990, okay? 1990 signaled to the man, and by the man I mean the record companies, that this has gone too far. And that was not this, just a song, but the video for Cherry Pie. That night I wrote Cherry Pie, sent it to him. He lived with it over the weekend, and all of a sudden... The album's called Cherry Pie. The record's called Cherry Pie. I'm doing cherry pie eating contests. I'm a cherry pie guy. That <laughs> is the guilty party. That is the smoking. What did you call about the smoking gun? Do that analogy again, real quick. Yeah, I, I, my my analogy on the Screaming Trees episode with Tom Gelati was uh, uh, that grunge didn't kill hair metal. They did the classic movie mistake. They walked into the room. Saw the body and picked up the murder weapon. So the prints yes. are on the gun. Yes, and the and the person that picked that up is Janie Fucking Lane. Okay, that video, even for a 16, 17 year old kid or whatever it was at the time, where you got the Bobby Brown and all that stuff. That move that was so cartoonish and over the top that people had to say at this point, you know what? This has gone too far. This, this makes <laughs> cherry pie guy. This, this cherry pie. This this makes smoking in the boys' room look like Citizen Kane. Do you see my point? I do. Okay. Now, again, not blaming. Although I don't think you get my metaphor because Janie Lane is not grunge, therefore it's not his prince. Janie Lane's probably the dead body. Uh, Reverse that. Yes, the dead body is Janie Lane, which is not very tasteful. Anything yeah, like okay. that. Probably a good reason to skip. Okay, what about just uh, one of the other members of Warrant that are still kicking? One of them is laying there. <laughs> what, Bobby? What, what's another member of Warrant? Does anybody know the Steven names? Sweet. Steven Sweet. Steven Sweet's laying there. Steven yeah. Sweet. All right. Fair enough. But 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 but. By so, the way, a great volume off video. Uh, 
What are you speaking of? Cherry pie. I will say, as a, as a disclaimer here, I like the Cherry Pie album. I even like that song. Uh, but you, did, you didn't have to write a song called Cherry Pie. They, he always blames it. They, I like the rest of the album. I know you're an, I'm you're, the same. Bobby Brown spent some time in the Spank Bank. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about uncreativity. Let's let's just have a fire. Uh, uh, what is it? a fire hose and uh, the the engine? What is it? The fire? The fucking fire truck? Fire engine? Fire, yeah. But it's just a white background. They couldn't even get a good set for it. Uh, Come on, man! To save, they they kept most of the advance for uh, drugs or yeah, alcohol. All right, or right. The main thing about it is is that that the the man saw Warren's cherry pie video and they said, "Listen," and they got together in like a room, like you see in those movies, where it's all the gangsters and the cigars and the dark room, and they're it's the it, all the conspiracy stuff. And they said, "Listen, we need to fucking reboot this genre, okay? We got the Sunset Strip. We need to simplify it and dumb it for the masses." We're going to call this new thing that pop, that sub pop guy. We've been signing some bands out of Seattle. That's going to be the new Sunset Strip. We're going to collect. We're going to collect all these things together, and we need this to be grittier. We need it to be like the the what ended up the Batman being, and that is, and we have the control. We got the radio stations. Damn, you're tying it all together, man. I am. We got the radio stations. We have, you know, at this point, some people had cable, some people didn't. You just have to think about that. Not everybody had all these channels. You had three channels. If you had cable, you you watched MTV. And MTV told you what was cool. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these things like that. We say, listen, we are going to say this. On this date. We had to rent or buy porn for fuck's sake. Exactly. I mean, how embarrassing is that? You got to go in there. You got to go behind the curtain, <laughs> the little beads. You got to come up there and say, I want to rent uh, all holes need filling. Part four. You had to do that. Uh, but before you carry on, I want all of our millennial listeners, yes, at home, to imagine the last thing they watched and jerked <laughs> off to. Now, imagine going out in public and putting that on a counter and telling somebody, "I want to purchase this." That was the struggle, people. And think about that: is that you're getting a video from a guy that the fingerprints are <laughs> went from his dick to the cassette. Back in there and returned it. How about the poor? How about the poor person at the that will block person didn't have it? What about the mom and pop? That guy's got to take those out, make sure they're rewound, see if there's any kind Go of through the beaded sp- curtain. Sp- yeah, got to see that there's spots. There's this is before COVID. How did COVID not exist earlier? It should be just from the porn tapes and the, the disgustingness from that. I don't know how COVID Every works. Ha- Every hand that handed you a uh, a VHS tape of porn has touched a penis. Right. It's six degrees of separation. There's one. It's that guy's hand. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, oh, back this to is the way, back This is the way to we're, fucking we're, cap this series off, listen, man. Listen, uh, <laughs> get back to the task at hand. Where was I? You got me on a tangent. On, on uh, You had just tied in uh, the grit of the Christopher Nolan Batmans to the grit of grunge. Yes. So they said, they sat down there to go like, listen, we are not making the same money we are. We're, we're at the tricksters and fuck if I've seen tough is coming out soon. We have to stop this. Okay. It's getting out of hand. And they said, we need to make a pact. We've already started signing all these Seattle bands. Let's simplify it instead of Sunset Strip. It's it's grunge. We're going to collect them together, even though they they don't really sound together. Nirvana doesn't sound like Soundgarden. Stuff like nope. We're just fucking calling it grunge. Unlike these guys that sound a lot, lot that's it. And, and 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 as of the end of '91, yes, we have your Aussies. We've got your Metallica. You've got things like that. Those are still money makers. Hair metal gotta go. Listen, we're going to say <laughs> one day this is cool. 
this is dumb because that pretty much happened overnight. Okay. And, and we're going to do this and we can do that because you're going to have some opposition. I don't want to be interrupted with this, this part, but I think the majority of the world is told what to like. Here's the cool stuff. And you're going to like it. You're going to, you're going to think the voice is a good show. You're going to think that the American idol is cool. And you're going to think these people that, that are famous because of it are good. Oh, artists. they're so talented. Okay. So, and it has to do with peer pressure. They're marketing it to kids that are 17, 18, younger, whatever like that in college. You want to be cool. You want to be accepted. And the last thing you're going to be doing is playing open up and say, ah, at full blast when your buddy is playing something that's, that's being told is awesome. And that's even flow by Pearl Jam. Okay. So you have this. Or Black Eyed Susan, as we covered in the last video. <laughs> that's right. So it's, so it's a business plan. It's peer pressure, all this stuff like that. And if you think, people, if you think that you cannot orchestrate things and tell people what is right or wrong, there is Fox News. There's all this kind of stuff. And let me tell you, if, there, if somebody hadn't started uh, maybe a website or whatever like that that made fun of mullets, People would still have mullets. People would yep. have all these kind of things. You, somebody had to tell somebody at some point. Great point. One hundred percent. Just one hundred percent agree. Okay. So and so, people do still have mullets. But yeah, I know. <laughs> but but people know. But people. But there wasn't a term for it, and all of a sudden, that like that, mullets. That's my bitch. That I, God, we're getting on so many okay. tangents. Nobody on. called it a mullet when it was a popular hairstyle. It was like it, it was when it became like wit, and that's why we think we're funny when we wear an ugly Christmas sweater. Yes. That's not witty. That's just an ugly. St- it, it, those really weren't a fucking thing, man. No, exactly. Anyway. And I can tell you this much too: if it wasn't for society and all these different views from powerful corporations telling us what to like, then you would still, if you like the song, uh, if you like the, if you love the song, "Never Gonna Give You Up" by Rick Astley, you would still be fucking blasting it out the window. <laughs> but now that's called Rick rolling, so you no longer do it. Not, not that you don't do it unironically. And you know what? You would go up to everybody. If you didn't care about what people said, you'd say, you know what? I like Poison's entire catalog and also a few songs by Nickelback. You'd say that to everybody. But, but the man said, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to reboot it because that's the whole thing. In the, in this, in the, in the, in the music, in the, uh, the movie industry, as soon as you get to that third sequel, you know, number three, number four, that's when the profits start looting. But if you reboot it, yeah. if you reboot it and give it another name, you can start making money again. That's why you see 9,000 reboots of, of Spider-Man and all this other crap. So I rest uh, my tell case. Tell that to Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So my point is the man killed it. The music label said this is what's going to happen. We've got this collective. And that goes to everything you just said. Fucking Nine Inch Nails. Anything that had nothing to do with grunge. Yeah. We're now going to say different is cool. And that's it. I'm done. Okay, and, and, and I'm just going to counter that real quick because I do agree that the, there's a lot of the substance to what you're saying there that, that I would agree with. The problem is, while that's what they try to do, that's what they try to do with everything, and most of it fails. So it's not quite as simple as like, okay, we're going to decide on being unbathed and drinking coffee in rainy weather is now popular music, so... And then it also works. You know what I mean? Like I said, I brought up the Ghostbusters reference. Yeah, they reboot shit all the fucking time. And frankly, most reboots do fail. 
most of them, just like most attempts at trying anything in music outside of the norm, which is why we got what we got now, which is Justin Bieber, which is basically just a, a computer algorithm uh, spitting out what pop music should be. You know what I mean? It is difficult to be success rebooting things all the time, but my whole point of this is that there's a reason why since that time, I think, there's never been a, another big change in music. It's all fragmented. There's been one. Okay. New metal. Okay. After new, new metal. New metal, Nickelback, yes. that kind of and stuff. what's the difference? Yes. The difference is, is that people had more than just fucking dial-up in 2004. Absolutely. Is, I was going to say okay. technology is absolutely the all reason right. why. I was gonna say, it was easier yeah. to do the reboot and the controlling of... Of, of people's Right, but opinions. even then they failed all the time. Sure. I mean, like I said, yeah, so. But but I think that the success on it was is they didn't just say, here's a few more bands. They said, here is grunge, okay? Yeah, okay. It was e- more easily digestible. But please, go back to you. Well, oh, actually, done. I would think the, the, the labels actually, once grunge became a thing they could latch on to, like, they probably put these bands out there without thinking of the term grunge. But once that term was out there, they were like, right, everything, right. the whole the whole thing from MTV to the labels, all like but, to Kmart. Yes, but all these were signed before the explosion of Nirvana. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like they were just right. So. And nobody was talking grunge when they signed them. Correct. And I don't think Mother Lovebone would have been a big band as much as everybody says they were on the cusp. Nope. I love Mother Lovebone, but I just don't hear a band that's going to relate to people. But I would have said the exact same thing listening to Pearl Jam 10 for the first time. But after they realized there could be money, they got together in that back room and they formed a pact to fucking shove grunge down people's throats. Uh, Okay, that I'm 100% on board with. But I would like to applaud you, first of all. That is the most formulated uh, take we've had on it uh, coming up to this. It was well worth the wait. I applaud you. That is is number one on the list worthy of of a take on that. I'll applaud myself. And I'll just say, too, is that good music will prevail, just so you know, in 91. We've said this before in another episode, but Guns Rose is doing fine. Ozzy had one of his biggest albums of all time. If not, yep. maybe the biggest album he's had. Metallica's Black Album, Aerosmith, doing just great. They did it for many years past that. Get a Grip, all those stuff like that. Skid Row, all fucking killing records. it. Even goddamn Queenstrike was killing it in 1991. You yeah. know what I mean? With, with Empire. And, and, and even Motley Crue was doing well with this goddamn, their goddamn greatest hits album and remixing sweet. This was all over MTV until the end of the year. Yep. The cream, yeah, he, the cream. You know what? When did, when did Vince Neil's first solo album come out? Because they played the shit out of uh, um, Not, either Sister of Pain or must, You're Invited, but your friend can't come. I must say '93. I'm just pulling that. Out yeah. Of my so ass. we're talking a couple years down the road. Yes. Tesla, Mechanical Resonance, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Five Man Acoustical Jam is their biggest record, probably. Right. And that was during this. Yeah. And they didn't suddenly start playing grunge. Nope. So that's it. If you still made some decent music, I think you still did okay. So let's, let's go on. What say you, Baco? Well, I, I was saving my opportunity to answer this question until the last episode. Thankfully so, because it actually changed midway through. We covered this very early on in the podcast, and we both kind of were, no, it didn't, that kind of stuff. It was just time for a change. Uh, much some, For some of the reasons you just mentioned. But I actually have a different uh, idea. Um I do not believe that grunge killed hair metal, but I do think hair metal was killed, and it was killed by, much like you said, uh, did you say the man or a man? And then the you man. said who the man was. The man is in the okay. corporations, yes. I think a man killed it. Oh, please, continue. Kurt Cobain killed hair metal. I mean, if you think about it, what really changed between like what they call hair metal and, and grunge? Producers blasting reverbs on snare drums is not... You know, or you know, at least dumping that. You know, that that's not enough to really just change a whole movement, right? It was that 
party like Spicoli attitude was gone. Everything was so <laughs> apathetic and sarcastic. Suddenly the world was filled with clouds and Ethan Hawke kind of characters from Reality Bites. You know, and that, my friend, is why Kurt Cobain killed it. Look at the other bands that, that actually broke, all right? Kurt Cobain was the one who was snarky and sarcastic, right? I mean, the other guys weren't. Hey, look, Mother Love Bone, Andrew Wood, he was about as happy-go-lucky as it gets. Soundgarden, kind of boring, but not really angsty. Alice in Chains were a fucking metal band were it not for being from Seattle. But they got lumped into us, and they were more than happy to kind of take on that role. Now, they, yep. they talked about the darker topics that these bands did, but when you saw any interview with them, they were upbeat, happy, they were jokey, they were kind of a fun band. And Pearl Jam, look, Eddie turned into a bit of a, a self-indulgent douche, but took himself way too serious. But he was not in an attacking, smug way where he was, like, disparaging bands like Guns N' Roses and, more importantly, Axl Rose, the way Kurt Cobain would constantly take cheap shots at that kind of scene and all that stuff. So, And and there were people, people we probably know, that celebrated Kurt's death. But, uh, That's you know, and, and, and you really didn't feel that way about anybody else that died from this scene. That you know, So... Can I can All I just bull- can I just say one thing about that? Is it, is it that when you're talking about the interviews and everything, they made interviews uncomfortable, Nirvana. Like like when he was wearing that dress on MTV and everybody yes. looks like it, they were kind of mumbling and nobody was talking um sound bites. And, and you, know you say saying? they, but we were really talking about Kurt. Everybody followed Kurt's sorry, lead in that. Sorry, band. Kurt. Okay, but I'm no, no, saying, but, but but like we were used to interviews I'm 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 adding to your point. We were used to interviews like a kiss interview prepared, ready to go, said what they need to do. That was all the rock stars at this time, right? They're almost like guest hosts on yeah. a, on Johnny Carson. Uh, they were Nirvana was not or I'm sorry, Kurt Cobain was not. He was uncomfortable right. to to listen to talk. Um and and think about uh, like one of the biggest like the people that were dragged into grunge slowly that like probably never go out over the fact that Warrant wasn't going to be popular anymore. Yeah. All that bullshit that they said about bands not being able to play their instruments is entirely because of Nirvana. You cannot listen to Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains and or Soundgarden because those are the big four and come away with, God, these guys are horrible at their instruments. No, man, we are talking top-end musicians from singer to bass player to drummer to guitar, way more than you saw as a unison in, in, in hair metal. So, but... Nirvana? If no, while I don't really agree that they're not a good band, to be honest with you, I think they're, they're they're phenomenal. Even Kurt as a guitar player brings something that I don't think is easy to replicate, and and was definitely all his own. Um, but they had that kind of sloppy, punky sound. Everything is about Kurt, and that's Kurt Cobain. You telling me those drums aren't fucking tight, and no one gives a fuck about. The bass. Yeah, who's that so, guy? Chris Novoselic. Novoselic. Chris Novoselic. Yeah, uh, but I'm just getting back to it. It is all about Kurt. Everybody isn't pissed at grunge. They're pissed at fucking Kurt. And you know what? When he came out and he became the biggest rock star on the planet, and he's out there wearing a dress, being a snarky, sarcastic, angsty piece of shit, that killed hair metal because hair metal was the antithesis. Of what Kurt, Co- Kurt Cobain was, or more so, he was the antithesis of that scene. He didn't shower. He didn't use hairspray. He didn't wear clothes that fit properly. All right? He didn't even wash his fucking clothes, much less uh, spend money on them. Two ends of the spectrum. 
Easily. That was it was the 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 perfect I'm going with your what you're saying. It was the perfect opposite of 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 that. And And it was him. Because guess what? You look at the other guys, I think Allison Chains looks fucking cool. Yes. Soundgarden looks cool. Yes. Pearl Jam looks cool. Yeah. This band looks like they the kids that nobody talked to in high school. Yeah. It's a guy that smelled like yogurt. He smelled like teen spirit. Or that, but but if I could jump a different in, kind, of, different kind yeah. of yogurt, yeah, yeah different kind. But uh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to back you on that too. That's definitely a nice uh, viewpoint as well. And in in and what you're talking about is there the other thing that people should always take from this is it was a big change for me that that hair metal or just like that kind of stuff from the '80s. It was all about escapism. You were on for the ride. Right. It was all this happiness and joy and stuff like that, and I really liked that because because it, it was an escapism. But there was something that was that that you couldn't turn away from from this genre too, and it, and it was the realness of it. And to that to that degree, I mean, think how tragic it is. Kurt's gone, Cornell's gone, fucking. I mean, Mike Starr, Mike Starr. Well, half of Alice, the original Alice in Chains lineup. You know what I mean? So yeah. So it's not like they were just bullshitting their I way mean, through these songs. Only of the four big four, Eddie Vedder is the only lead singer still alive. There you go. It was a real thing, and that's why the music transcends. That's it. Is it my favorite thing? No, I can't. I actually like, for example, there's only so much I can take. Like I like Facelift more than I like Dirt, even though Dirt's probably better songs because it's very yeah. down. I like. Bad Butterfinger better than Super Unknown because Super Unknown actually makes me kind of sad by the end of it. <laughs> it, it really does. It's, you know what I mean? Like that. Like it's a little too much. So there's only there's a certain zone, um, but uh, but but that's because do, it's do real. Do you think? Let me ask you this because this I, I've mentioned it on the show a few times. Um, this, I mean, I, again, I don't want to overstate it. This is stuff that normal people deal with. But in in my life, this ninety to ninety four period is probably one of two kind of low points for me um, spiritually or mentally. Do you think that... But I, but I gravitated towards this music in a very positive way. I agree with your assessment of, 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 of the music, but to me, it was very... Do you think that's why maybe you and I look at it a little bit different? I know you were just a... You know, you're 10 years younger than me, you say all the time. Um, <laughs> no, we were around the same zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I think that that's definitely part of it. He hit at the right time for us to, to look at it. But I don't think... It, I also think that it, you don't even need that. I think that if you look at this... And, and still, what I'm just saying about this, too, is that, that, yes, it was called grunge. But to me, I was still buying Ozzy's latest album. Along with yeah, but stuff. you weren't buying uh, warrants. Good point. Yes, that's where that those had stopped. Yes, so I'll move on from that. But for, to me, all it was was good rock music. Is my point. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think in hindsight, I look at it. I- I've also copped to the fact that I just bailed on everything. I didn't bail. <laughs> I mean, I tried. Uh, I tried to, to to get the latest album. It's not like I didn't buy. Motley Crue '94. I bought that right when it came out and stuff like that. There was there was the bands you kept buying. That's probably the best example of me bailing. I didn't really give that album a shot until probably oh late '90s, early 2000s, and that that's when I realized that you know I really missed an opportunity there. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll say this. This is a perfect example of the man. Okay. I remember seeing the world premiere of Hooligans Holiday. They had Motley Crue on there. It was a big deal. Uh, in 94 on MTV. They showed that video like that day. Fucking gone after that. It was almost like they called Disagree. in a favor. I saw that video nonstop. Really? I th- it seemed like yeah. they just called in that a favor. That video got a lot of play. Yeah. Okay. 
that it still didn't work. To me, it seemed to like vanish real quick. And my point of is, is just that Motley Crue had such a relationship with the, the channel with all their stuff. They're like, yeah. yeah, we'll give you a chance, and then fucking we got to bury you and go back to whatever we're doing. So anyway, I think that's why they got a chance with that song. But at that point, no, nobody was going to buy nobody into cared. it. So. Yep. So. Which is too bad because it it really is a phenomenal record. But. It is, but uh, anyway, so that that is the thirty minute break between. Uh, All right, yeah, <laughs> let's get into side two, bitch. Do we have to? I'm exhausted. I, I've peaked. <laughs> All right, it opens up with territorial pissing. So the opening here of this song, it opens with Nova Selich uh, sarcastically singing the song Get Together from the Young Bloods before they kick into this blistering quick hitter of a song. Uh, now, now, while Nova Selich does sing it in kind of a mocking, matter, uh, mocking manner, I should say, but according to group leader Kurt Cobain, that's straight out of fucking song facts, uh, it was not a dig at the song, but an idea of how coming together for the greater good had become a watered-down cliche in our media. Now, I want to mention our friend BJ from the Rock and Roll, Rock and or Roll podcast, uh, did an, one of his last episodes before it got kind of shut down, was a breakdown of the history of this song, and it was fascinating. Um, to the point where he leads up to Nirvana, having it? Nirvana... And by the way, this thing had changed hands as far as who owned it so many times. The, the person who wrote the song never really got any money. It's just a great story. Not a great story, but a fascinating story about how shitty the music industry is. This song was sold and sold and sold. And then like some big conglomerate, they, they demanded on a full equal songwriting and publishing share of this song just because of that little fucking snarky thing that was an off-the-cuff moment where butch vig yelled into the, the like just sing some stupid hippie shit and he wanted to put it at the beginning of the song so and then the song kicks in but uh uh my only thoughts on the song i think uh, cobain's screaming vocals during the chorus they Remind me so much of early replacements, uh, you know, with Paul Westerberg and all that stuff. I, I haven't really heard Cobain speak of that band specifically, but I hear a lot of influence from them on what he does. Well, after that very detailed uh, analysis of the song, uh, can I just give it's my It's too rating? bad people can't go check out that episode, by the way. It was brilliant. Can I just go to my rating? Yeah. Because I have nothing to say on my end, and that is uh, zero urinal cakes. Yeah, I get. I give this two urinal cakes. Interesting backstory. I I don't understand how that w- that song was traded around, but uh, I'm ready to move forward from the opening track. Uh, I can see for me, uh, you like Polly, yes, or did not like Polly. I did. It was all right. Okay, because you told me this part of the tape was not touched that much because maybe yeah. Well, I I, did, I never vibed with Nirvana. Period. This was okay, not my okay. favorite record. But you, you could know, stop thought- after after Lithium and just flip the cassette. You avoid yeah. territorial pissings and Polly. Is my point. I was trying to be witty oh, okay. with my with my Christmas sweater, ugly Christmas sweater on. So. I gotcha. All right, all right. Uh, so there, uh, there's a callback for the listener. All right, uh, but yeah, the next track is uh, "Drain You." One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. I'm 
on a fan site, and there were a couple of different theories about what the song is about. So one is that it's possibly about a girl he dated who was in a band called Bikini Kill when he lived in Olympia, uh, Washington. Okay. Another suggested that it might be about heroin. And since it's Seattle grunge, I think it's about heroin. Uh, another song that opens up with that kind of annoying clean guitar and then that all too familiar Nirvana chord progression kind of played the same as the other. This is one of their... To me, this is filler. Uh, take a piss when they play it live, man. Um, if they play it live. Yeah. Um, I'll just second that. This is just... This song is better than Territorial Pissings. That, that, that's mm. that's that, what I can, I can say about it. And it's... Uh, but the thing that takes it possibly gives it more than zero uh, stars or whatever I'm going to choose from is the lyrics because I looked into it more uh, for the episode and they have the lyrics chew your meat for you pass it back and forth in a passionate kiss <laughs> from my mouth to yours that's disgusting but I will tell you this is the sequel to Polly this is about a bird this is what birds do the mother birds chew their food up and pass it on they regurgitate to the young so this is like a national geographic uh like uh background music <laughs> is what i'm thinking so uh the you know those uh the history of our planet or whatever like that this would be perfect for it so geranio because of that gets uh uh one regurgitated meat meal i gave it two regurgitated meat meals okay so. excellent much more generous with your regurgitation yeah much more up next we have lounge Jack. The title is supposedly inspired by the opening bass line, which uh, Kurt supposedly uh, opined that it sounded like a ch- something a cheesy lounge bar band would play. Uh, this is a skipper for me. Yeah, this... Uh, oh, phew, boy. I'm going to say this... I don't have anything to say except this gets one rim shot <laughs> for a lounge act. Yes? Oh, nice. I give it two. You give it two, yeah. It has yeah. it has more of a melody than uh, I don't know, Duranio and Territorial Pissings. But again, this Maybe. is the, this, I... at this point. At this point, if you're analyzing this right now, you come out the gate, one, two, three, knocks out the park on this album, and then things just seem to be bleachy to me. And 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 it just shows you the power of the front end of this record. I think at this point, because this is not Appetite for Destruction, where I mean, even the most cynical person would say nine of the 12 songs are killer yeah there i just this album went on to sell like we said 30 million copies it wasn't based on the back half of it so far nope Um, so we're three songs what is that three songs in yeah Yeah. so up next we have uh track 10 stay away My 
like the Peter Chris album we just reviewed, where it was "It Doesn't Get Better Than This." <laughs> this is also a warning. That was the working the working title for this because it has could have been the opening track to side two. Yes, it could have been just to stay away the sign, uh, and it has easily the worst verse on the album. It's so irritating. What is that verse? Uh, I believe it goes monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> over and over again and any variation of that. I mean, it basically sounds like this is this is basically Kurt Cobain uh, having a Tourette's fit. <laughs> I think you use that to describe a lot of these songs. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, talking about the, I, I'm talking about the, but, but in this case, he actually says a bunch of gibberish and then goes. Rah! I mean, how is that passable? How did Butch Fig go? Fucking nailed it. Kurt, let's go. You know, I mean, he was just vibing, man. Um, yeah, you know this song. It, it was this uh, um, territorial pissings and breed to me. Breed's the strongest of the three, and they're basically all all three of the same song. It's God, the, yeah, kind of fast, over over distorted, kind of kind of punky stuff. Which, when done right, is good. And to me, these 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 again, I think sometimes Kurt Cobain got kind of lazy. Now, this is the production. I think saves a lot of the, this record as much and. and we should touch on that real quick because Kurt ended up he, – he loved it at the time. And then when it blew up and he lost some of his punk cred, uh, he's suddenly like, yeah, it's, we sound like Motley Crue. I'm like, no, you don't fucking sound like Motley Crue, man. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> Nobody's going to confuse you. It reminds me of that scene from uh, um, Major League where Charlie Sheen's character Wild Thing has to wear a – uh, a tie to yeah. go to a restaurant, yeah. but he's got like a a, a suit coat on, and he's cut his cut the sleeves off, and he's like, "I look like a banker." <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> nobody is confusing you for a banker, Charlie. Nobody. Yeah, nobody heard this and said, "This sounds like fucking girls, girls, girls." Man. Yeah, this this sounds like uh, this sounds like louder than hell. A little deep track reference there for you, huh? Anyway. All right, what do you got for a, a rating on fucking stay away? Um, I have well. I should have five warnings because that's you need as many warnings as possible to stay away from the song. But I'm just going to go with zero warnings again. I mean, I am just I'm out at this point. I mean, I had the CD and it was just continuing on. This is I would say at this point right now for any album that's been famous and talked about and everything like this. This has the biggest just fail curve or whatever you want from the beginning to where it goes. It is just straight down on the yeah. chart. If you took if you took this to like a you know a sales meeting, it would be one of those charts where say everybody's getting fired. This is the performance for the quarter. And, and to tie into your grunge killing hair metal thing, I will say this. I think the initial burn and explosion for this band and, and, and this whole scene was legit. But once it hit a certain point, then it was it was what you're talking about. Marketing. Push, push, push. Make it cool. Make it cool. I don't see how anybody critically could put Nevermind against the top Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains album and say that this is any of their albums are better than those guys, even though they're the most iconic. Right? right? I mean, just if, for, for, if you were just to break them down track by track, how can you? The biggest Nirvana fan has to give it up for those other bands, right? Or no? You would think so. But well, again, I, I feel like I understand this band and I was a target audience for this. And for whatever reason... I, it just didn't click with me. So I, I try to be ob- objective, but it could be just that, like, I can't see them or hear them the way some of their more diehard fans would. But, yeah, I mean, everything about them, when you talk about this record, you just describe their career. You know right. what I mean? I mean? It's just 
it was short, it was front heavy, and it just it didn't really live up to those other bands. Now, I will say, though, that if you want to say as far as singles go, and I'm going to just play the devil's advocate here, um, the strength of Teen Spirit and Come As You Are, and also I'll tell you, if, if, I, if I had a top five like grunge singles, Heart Shaped Box is there. I fucking love that song. Yeah, I think it's a great yeah. song. The rest of the album, no. But I'm saying that they, I think that it was because they crafted a few heavy hitters, which is all you need in the world, because you only hear three or four songs from any band ever on the radio. But they had such powerful singles. That's that's you know that, that that's a great point. None of those other bands had the one, two, three, and then four on five. Nope. That this record had. Nope. Um. It, it, so maybe those were like more consistent. So I think that Nirvana peaked with the singles they released, and they were much more that everybody could grab onto almost instantly. Uh, yes. Like it would just pull you. You you didn't have to dive deep into the record and let nope. it, like it. They were not known for their growers. And you know what the general public they does? were showers, not growers. Yeah. So the general public goes for the hits, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like, they were okay with the rest of the album not being that great. It's like if you buy Metallica's Black album, maybe they're okay with the, those five songs. But but yeah, I got you know that's actually a good one. I, I for some reason I thought you were going Back in Black. To me, like look at records like Back in Black and Appetite for Destruction. I think even like the the laziest fan likes almost everything. They just let it play. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know that they would do that with this. But, no, uh, how can you have this at a barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not a barbecue album, unless you just want people to leave and not eat. Uh, you know, it might rain. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So anyway, moving on. All right, next up is On a Plane. Stop yourself without any words. I got so high, scratched it up bled. Is this not one of the singles? Okay, this one has I, a melody. Echo your your sentiment. Yeah. What you echo? Like this should have been lithium. Should not have been a fucking single. Even though you like this one, this is the maybe the most the the most uh, melodic song on the album. I instantly like this song. It's it's got it's that's it. I mean, it has they have weird words lyrics too. Like my mother died every night. It's safe to say. Don't quote me on that. Makes no sense. I, that's the lyrics. Don't quote me on that. Is, is the actual <laughs> lyrics of it? I never even heard that until today. All I know is on a plane. It sounds good on the the album that you don't like, the acoustic one. I dig this song. You sir. Yeah, and it's it's that classic kind of um, wordplay that uh, again I think he kind of leans on Paul Westerberg for that. Uh, I call it the Minnesota snark, but uh, on a plane, you just hear someone say that you're thinking of them on a plane. Right. But he's actually P-L-A-I-N. Right. Um, and just you're having some fun with the, the wordplay there. This, again, you're back to that uh, very Nirvana-esque chord progression. That and Cobain was a, a, a minimalist when it came to the music, but he was very—he was a really solid player. Uh, 
But he he was perfect. At, one of the most perfectly self-deprecating people, too. Look at the, the opening line to this is a good example. Like, let's let's start this off without any words. And going back to you talking earlier about like uh, how he kind of has nonsense lyrics, that was actually him mocking himself for kind of like waiting till the last minute to finish lyrics. So is that what uh, he actually so did? Like, I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah okay. so, so he's actually you know taking a cheap shot at himself with that line. Let's start this off without any words. But this is one of my favorite non-single tracks on the record. Um, I, I do think it's it's definitely the strongest track on the second side. Oh, what man. do you give this for a rating? I give this five seven forty sevens. Figure out that math. Ooh, nice. I give it four seven forty sevens. Okay. Yeah. So easily the the peak right now. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get side. better from here. Uh, like no. as Peter Chris would say. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. Next up is uh, something in the way. people that bought the thing right away this was the last song on the record and it was even on later releases it was the last listed song on the record uh we'll get into that in just a minute but uh so this this in a way is the, the album closer even though it wasn't really meant to be a lot of people i know that like this record do like this song uh i think lyrically it's another clever offering from kurt you know he's referring to himself as something in the way, kind of talking about his home life and, and how he he actually lived under a bridge for a while because he was just kind of in the way at home um, when he, he got kicked out of his house, apparently. So that that's what this is about. But uh, he, he So he expresses that with this something in the way. But uh, he thought everything was in the way every time he tried to feel better. I don't like the song, though. It is just a, you know what, it's okay for a record closer, I guess. If you look at it that way, it does, but it just drones and it just, it's a way to like not really appreciate how good Dave Grohl is with the fucking lazy, this should have been called the fucking lounge act with the the fucking weird drums going on this thing, but uh, I don't know. Um, What what about you? No, I mean, this is no Rocket Queen. (laughs) I mean, this is not a a way to end your album. Uh, I, 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 I guess you could look at it as that but this is like you just got saying rock and roll ain't noise pollution no i mean you you just finally got me back this is not all all night (laughs) that was the closer bro what was the closer on that i don't even know maybe it was a closer all night was a closer on asylum i'm glad you know this anyway so so uh i've just been trying to forget it but so is joe polo by the way he's glad i know that too yeah instantly all these kiss nerds are starting to write us typers (laughs) yes it is the the closer he's like you guys are so wrong about kiss 
Except for at the end when Baco knew that oh, all night was the last. Track. Yeah, I'm glad he's a superior I, I, now, fan. Right now, I hope I'm wrong. I really just want to. <laughs> but no, I mean, you just got me back with on the plane, and then yeah. this you go into this like you said, it's 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 droning. This sounds like every coffee shop moron that gets up there and tries to do a deep song and then says this sounds like the entire Nirvana Unplugged record. Nice one. <laughs> I'm moving on from that. <laughs> Good point. Good shot. But but the, the, you've got the lyrics, I'm living off grass and the drippings from my ceiling, which now you're telling me, I guess that's when he was living under a bridge. This is kind of like the precursor for the toilet papers. Maybe that's the drippings from the ceiling. I didn't take it that way. But then the line that makes me like do a coffee spit is the line that probably everybody likes. And that's, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. How the fuck do you know? <laughs> is this catfishing? Is this the original catfish? It is, yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I give this... Uh, can we do a rating, or do you want to go more? Yeah, what do you got for rating here, man? I give this... Uh, hmm. I give this zero feeling-free fish. I have been more kind to the songs I hate on this record, and so I have to kind of base it on that. I don't hate this more than some of the songs I gave it to, so I'm giving this a two and a half. What was it again? Uh, fish? Uh, feeling free fish. Uh, I give this two and a half feeling free fishes because of that. Uh, but I also give part it. Part of zero. me wants to give it a zero because I, I, I just it just irritates me. Yeah, you're, you're a man of you're man of principle. Also, I give it also just an addition. I give it zero Jesus fish. <laughs> All right. Well, you thought it was over, but it's not. Um, apparently, the song "Endless Nameless" was always supposed to be a hidden track, but the guy who mastered the record initially. <laughs> didn't get the note and forgot to put it on the record and so the first 20 to 30,000 copies didn't have it uh, that's the numbers I got it seems like it would be higher than that because it had if to you be. bought it had to be yeah it, I know my cassette did not have it uh, I probably should have held on to it uh, but this definitely works as a hidden track but not as an actual track uh, it's just angry punk jamming um, if I have any score it's gonna be for spirit what about you I I I don't even want to talk about this one. I think it's just... It does, like, it does feel endless, doesn't it, when you endless, listen to it? Endless, nameless. You know what? I give this zero endless, nameless, pointless stars. I give it one endless, nameless, pointless stars. All right. Okay. So uh, are we done with this album? We are done. Now we get to the part where I uh, we have the, our last words on the record. Uh, uh, as I want to do, I like to let, let the guests take the final... Last words, so I'll get mine out of the way for you and then uh, step aside. It's fine. I'm not sure if it's some of the tones, Kurt's voice, or what exactly, but this band never clicked with me. Yet, I was the target audience for this when it blew up, so I understood pretty quick why it was connecting with people, even while it wasn't connecting with me, I guess. Um, It was a palate cleanser that rock music needed, and it opened doors for some amazing music to get heard on a much wider scale than I think it typically would have thought of. So I could scoff and be all pissy about Nirvana, but for me, that's really more for people who felt like Warrant or Faster Pussycat were being taken away from them. It's no surprise to me, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, even if you are if you are snarky and sarcastic, that this record comes in at number one on the list. But you know what? I slid this motherfucker all the way down to number 22. Excuse wow. me? I think through our conversation and thinking about how much I like those first three songs and also, you know, on a plane also as a, you know, a distant fourth 
for those. Um, that the the singles for Nirvana were huge. They connected with everybody in a big way, and there's a reason for that. And, and to that end, I can't deny those those first three tracks. Even though In Bloom is not one that stuck around, but you see my point. Um, I do. They come out of the gate strong. This album is sequenced perfectly because you could basically put those three songs in the beginning and sequence everything else in any fucking order you want. Um, <laughs> because it really wouldn't matter at that point because it, it is one of the biggest cliff dives after the beginning of an album that I've ever experienced before or after in an album that's famous, I should say. Um, that's my summation of it. This is basically an EP for me. Um, everything from the the album cover. Uh, could you release that now with a little baby in his wing on the cover? I don't think so. It, not I don't like, know. I just saw, it's, I, it's artistic. I'm, while we're it's talking, different. I'm watching the WAP video and uh, uh, jerking off. So <laughs> it, I, you probably could. I'm just saying, even that part was so weird that, you know, it got to Walmart, but they had to, airbrush the wang off or whatever like that it's just oh did they actually do that i don't remember yeah that. yeah certain places wouldn't carry it because it had a naked baby on the on the front <laughs> of it which is odd because you know like led zeppelin um what was the album house of the holy or which is the yep. one that had, yeah all that stuff but whatever it's artistic love gun <laughs> those are kids I, I thought those were ladies they were painted oh no. those are kids in house of the holy yeah he's got uh, okay. like like rubber plants kids uh, on the rocks clearly i'm out. the world's largest led zeppelin fan <laughs> that's my my next side cast is led zeppelin a to z yeah anyway no i don't think so but um no, that's my sum- sum- summation uh, i mean uh, i know i'm not allowed to use the term perfectly rated anymore <laughs> this this album is overrated this is overrated it's used uh. in culture as an example and it's almost like it's like Nickelback's the the easy target for that whole shitty genre that people don't like that sound like Nickelback Nirvana is the Moses you know on top yeah, of the if mountain. Nirvana would have been from Canada which they were pretty close they would have been treated like Nickelback probably because nah, it would have been so friendly you know eh Oh, that's true. Kurt would have had a whole It really attitude. benefited Rush. They never blew up like Nickelback did because they could just keep being Rush. That's true. This is deep thoughts. I think we're going to be talking about Yes and King Crimson. Although, they did, how do we explain Justin Bieber then? <laughs> I don't know. Wait a second. But, he is a human punching bag. Never mind. But this is much longer than I thought I'd be talking about this album. Um, and uh, that's my summation for it. My, my, you, know, you know what? This is it. I'm going to sum- summarize it this way. Nirvana, never, never mind. Eh, three or four good songs. <laughs> Classic. All right. Well, before I let you out of here, um, I, I've, I've had, um, as I got closer to the end here of, of this list, I've had people ask me what is next. Uh, you and I have had some discussions, so, uh, but I would like to at least make an official announcement that whatever, never mind, will continue in a much more condensed, as I want to do it kind of version. I'm going to do something like a... Oh, like a Lost Records kind of thing where we talk about... Because like, like everybody that, that looked into this list, myself included, there was records that we thought should have been on here that weren't, that didn't get talked about. So I'm going to kind of do that and kind of get into that uh, as... Like I said, as, as I feel like doing it. So it, it's going to be more about inspiration. As we head into like spring and summer here, it's going to be more of a focus on interviews uh like that we t- that I typically try to get lined up. Um, and I have a couple of ideas that... I don't want to say right now, but uh, that, that that I'll be rolling out, that are going to be kind of more like these kind of placeholder things during the summer. Um, and then I do have a series coming up, much like whatever, never mind, that'll probably start in the fall. 
I'm working on getting a lot of preparation in for that that, that you're involved with. But uh, details on that are, are, are to come. I, 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 sorry if I'm teasing, but uh, it is going to be kind of in this vein, but, but a l- I'm mixing things up a little bit uh, beyond that. So I promised people I would say something, so there's my announcement. Yeah. Exciting. So basically you told us nothing. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I told you some. You told us some. I just just randomly when, when – uh, yeah, so expect, you know – your interviews, you got, uh, if you want to do some random out of the 25 top grunge albums and things like that, and a big change this fall, which I know about, but nobody else does. Because <laughs> I'm your number one guy, Actually, I'm number one guy, man, out of 25. I'm out of 25 dudes. I was number one. You are, of course, the first to know. Uh, there are <laughs> six, six other people that are, are probably, after listening to this, realizing why they got the email they did for me earlier today. I couldn't be more happy with the way this turned out. I'm glad that I saved you for number one, but I do want to blow you a little bit like you blew me earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, your support during this whole process has meant a lot. You really have been behind the scenes. You, you've, you've had uh, suggestions, feedback, you know, just everything was just positive and, and, and really supportive through the whole time. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. It really made it a lot easier to do this. And I, hey, man, I, I love you and I appreciate it. <sighs> Whatever. All right, never mind. Seattle has come to symbolize about the great Northwest. Add one more. It is, for better or worse, the birthplace of grunge. Grunge is the fashion trend launched by the hard-driving guitar music known as the Seattle Sound. The grunge look is an urban lumberjack, anything-goes ensemble of duck boots, tattered shirts, and long underwear.
Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report on a very sad day. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. And this is the story as we know it so far. Cobain's body was found in a house in Seattle on Friday morning. He was dead of an apparently self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. Police found what is said to be a suicide note at the scene, but have not yet divulged its contents. Cobain, who was 27, had reportedly been missing for about six days, according to his mother. Hey, I'm Ian Robinson with MTV News. The rock world lost one of its more honest voices this weekend when Alice in Chains frontman Lane Staley was found dead in his Seattle home on Friday. He was 34. One of the pioneers of the grunge movement that came out of, this, out of Seattle in the early 90s has died. Chris Cornell, lead singer of Soundgarden, was found dead from an apparent suicide in his hotel room. Former Alice in Chains bassist Mike Starr has died. According to TMZ, the 44-year-old star was found dead in a Salt Lake City, Utah home on Tuesday afternoon. There was no immediate word on Starr's cause of death. Some breaking news out of Bloomington, and it's trending nationally. The former lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots, Scott Weiland, has died. A sad story here. His manager confirmed the death to the Associated Press this morning. Ivory Hecker joins us now live from Bloomington with what we have learned overnight. Hi, Ivory. Hi, Brian. We're still waiting to hear from the medical examiner on how Scott Weiland died. But here's what we know so far. Police were called here to the tour bus behind me around 8.30 last night to investigate a man found dead inside. This is at a hotel located just across from the Mall of America. joint in your hand. I bet you burned me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, somebody, somebody says, you know, they, they, that word E-A-R, you all heard it in college, ear. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. That's what happened. Okay. Somebody says, ear. And then what do you do at that point? I took it and I tried to smoke it just like a cigarette. But I'd never smoked a cigarette before. Mm hmm and you're and not I, a drinker either, right? No, well, mm. I never had a drink till I was 22. I do now a little bit, but not much. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I, I did my best. I mean, I, and I tried, but I just couldn't inhale it. <laughs> 